Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa for an early edition of this week's show. Dustin, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. Just as always, watching some kind of baseball or softball when we podcast. So, <laughs> well, let's Oklahoma let's... State's they're down 2-0 right now in the top of the first. So, hopefully, That's... they pull this one out. Perfect. I was going to say, lead us off with the score right there, so that way we know, and then move into the podcast. And by we the always end, always win though. Yeah. When we're pod softball, they were down when we started the podcast. They came back and won last week, so they always win. But how are you? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. No, we will we will be victorious if we say the score while we're down on a podcast that you'll listen to tomorrow. That is usually how it goes. Um, but no, I'm doing really good, man. It's, it's cool. We talked on Thursday for our last episode and Tuesday this week. So like, it feels like an extra podcast, but in reality, it's like, you're getting the exact same number of podcasts. You're just getting Caden Dustin much closer together than you normally <laughs> get in a given week. So, yeah. And we, we kind of been consistent with the Tuesday and then we had to switch to Thursday. So you're right. It does feel like we're going back to back here, but hopefully, uh, hopefully the people enjoy it. So. I hope so. Well, it's good to be uh, with you. Of course. Um, I do want to jump right in. We got plenty to get to this week. Spring football, obviously wrapping up to a close this weekend with what Mike Gundy called a practice. So that takes a little bit of the luster that was already removed over the previous editions of the spring game. Um, but spring practice does uh, conclude this Saturday. So, Dustin, I mean, why don't you kick us off with some notes that you had um, and we can jump right in? Yeah. So they're going Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday this week. I believe they may have something on Thursday as well. But Last week, they wrapped up the practice uh, on April 15th with the Mike Gundy Cowboy Coaches Clinic. Heard there were over 200 coaches there, sold out. Um, Casey Dunn talked, Mike Gundy, Derek Mason, Brandon Whedon was also there. And then they had a bunch of breakout sessions with the position coaches and a pra uh, after the practice and then dinner. So that sounded pretty cool. I almost uh, I wanted to kind of, you know, fake like I was a coach and go. Yeah, how do we get an invite? Might have to do that in the future, but a couple of interesting things. Uh, I believe Poach, Pokes Report had a couple of these nuggets uh, up on their website. Robert Allen wrote about it, but Coach Dunn talked about what Coach Gundy talked about at the Alabama Coaches Clinic recently. He talked about hurry up offense, what they call turbo, going turbo, uh, no huddle stuff. But I thought this quote was interesting, referencing the bowl game against Notre Dame. He says, Coach Dunn said, we try to even the playing field with the defense and especially this past season with the Notre Dame game. We wouldn't have won that game without the tempo and turbo package. They were big and beefy and we decided to go into that game straight turbo on offense. We ran 98 plays. We were over 50 turbos. So we were over 50% tempo. We created a lot of chaos and scored a bunch of points, had a bunch of yards and dinked and dunked our way down the field. It is a valuable thing for us. So Okay, that's pretty interesting because we got a lot of questions after the Notre Dame game and you and I even, you know, talked about it a lot about the tempo and the turbo. So it's it sounds like Dunn is 
really interested in continuing to use that. Not that they didn't do it during the season at all, but it sounds like that's something they're going to go to quite often next season. We've heard that Spencer's been getting the ball out real quick, making quick decisions. We've heard they've been kind of increasing the amount of RPOs in the scheme. So what were your thoughts on that quote? Well, I mean, another T-shirt just got printed. Straight turbo. (laughs) That's easy. Easy. That's number two in the feels like 45 pod store. No, that's that's interesting and is kind of what you and I have talked about this this whole offseason is like with this personnel, what changes and is it tempo? Is it their personnel? I think we both were in agreement that after that Notre Dame game, that was by far the most explosive the offense had looked easily that year and then maybe even going back a few years. It, it just looked like Oklahoma State's offense of old and um, clearly was something that you could try to emulate whether you use it situationally and and more often, or it just becomes a a more consistent theme of your offense. I'm just glad it's here. I, I thought that it was a more entertaining team to watch. I'll say this though. It makes sense why Oklahoma state did what they did last season with the defense they had. Don't give the defense a short or don't put the defense in a situation where they're trying to defend a short field don't put the defense out there after they just came off a three and out or something like that, where you're trying to play a little bit more of a, of a possession game rather than blow the, uh, blow the def- opposing defense out of the water um, and just assert your will. I appreciate why they did what they did last year when it comes to tempo, but I don't know if they're going to have that same luxury. And so I think the defense being a little, taking a little bit of a step back this year allows the offense potentially just in terms of a game in a full 60 minutes allows the offense to maybe go a little bit more up tempo. Yeah, I agree with you. And you hit on a, you hit on a solid point there about, you know, why they didn't do it at times last year and Dunn even outlined that when he was talking, I know we got that question out the game. Why after the Notre Dame game, why they don't go to tempo all the time. You know, he said, you don't want to go three and out, put the defense in a difficult position. You give up your motions and stems or flips that create desired matchups because you're going up to the line fast and snapping the ball. And then there's the dreaded flopping. So, you know, <laughs> when the defense is got, and done emphasize that that really frustrates them. I'm sure it does. It frustrates pretty much everybody. So we talked about some other reasons as well, the way the defense is set up, like we referenced the Baylor big 12 championship game, but yeah, I, I think we'll see it even more this season because you're right. It, it may be the defense is taking a step back it's not something you can rely on, but who knows if, if you get Ollie Gordon in there mid season and he's running through everybody, then maybe you just slow it down and run the ball. Yeah, maybe. And I love that Dunn, the first reason he outlined was what I had said. I, I didn't even see that quote from him. Nobody will ever believe me on that, but um, <laughs> you know, it, it goes back to me. Like what we talked about, you and I talked about this last year. I, I think it was you. Um, people were really frustrated with Tom Hutton's like situational punting. He wasn't booming it, you know, pinning people inside the 10. It was very much a consistent, like 40 yard punt. And it was really just to get the ball down there. It didn't, you didn't want to give up a return. You wanted to get your return or your punt defense set up to where you really didn't give the returning team an option to do anything other than go 75 yards with their offense. And so um, I'm glad to know that uh, they see it a little bit differently this year. And it makes sense again, with the defense potentially taking a little bit of a step back. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Derek Mason also talked. He has a lot of good quotes. I'll get to those, but I wanted to 
first lay out his acronym for his defense, SPEAR. Yeah, I read this. Stop the run, pressure and confuse the quarterback, eliminate explosive plays, all about the ball, relentless finish. (laughs) SPEAR. Uh, The word SPEAR is cool anyway, but I do like the acronym. That's a little bit long. I might need some flashcards to remember that one. (laughs) I've already got it tattooed on me. Oh, yeah, I figured you would. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, Cade, so he had – he talked about just the defensive positions and then about what they're going to do on defense. It's pretty interesting. Um, I'll hit you with this first quote real quick, though. He said, our corners practice like linebackers. Our linebackers practice like secondary guys. In this defense, when you get out there and watch us in practice, we'll play odd front, we'll play even front, oaky front, we'll play over and we'll play under, we'll play boundary. Why? Because there's no offensive coordinator in the world that has enough time to prepare for all those fronts. Love it, love it. They want to confuse us with their ability to go tempo. We want to confuse them with our ability to play multiple fronts. Whoa. That's some significant defensive talk right there. We're not really used to all that. I mean, I, I, I would have loved to be at this. (laughs) this coach's clinic and listen to Derek Mason also coach Dunn and coach Gundy and, and my guy, Brandon Whedon as well. But um, coach Mason, just the stuff he's saying, he, he goes on to say, talking about the, the back, the back end of the defense, right on the back end, we're going to play some two deep, three deep match zone, man. We're going to have some five man pressure, four man pressure. We're going to run what everybody else runs. Everybody asked me when I first got here, what did you run against Alabama? Cause you know, they, performed really well against Bama last season. We played a lot of match, played a lot of cover two. We're never going to run anything defensively that's outside of our package. We have 27 calls. That sounds like a bunch Mm. of calls, but too deep is too deep and match is match. The front is where we're going to confuse people. You'll love it. Interesting. You'll love it, Cade. Yeah, I know I will. And I know why (laughs) I will love it. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's good to know they're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I mean, they're going to have the best defensive line in the Big 12 and one of the best in the country. So lean on that, right? I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me. You're going to have some youth and inexperience at key positions in the secondary. So, I, I mean, I think that's really all you can do is, is lean on the defensive line to create pressure. And it goes back to the point I've made all offseason that the secondary just needs to be average and they'll be okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what. So he said, he said when he met with the media, this was not at the coaches clinic. This is when he met with the media on Monday that 85% of the Cowboy defense is going to stay the same from last season. I'm going to be interested to see what that 15% is. But if I had to guess, Cade, I think it's going to be some different things on the, the defensive front. Like we just talked about, you know, we mentioned some maybe just Tyler Lacey with Brock Martin, Colin Oliver, and Trace Ford all out there standing up. That's not something we saw last year because you didn't have Trace Ford. You, you would right. see Oliver and Martin, but you'd probably see a Jernigan and a Lacey down. But it's going to be really interesting to see what that additional 15% is. But the, the quotes he had and everything were awesome. He, he referenced deconstructing the defense to be able to learn it and then kind of putting it back together because they're going to try to use the same verbiage that Knowles did. He oh, said nice. it was kind of like uh, restoring his 1964 international scout car that took him <laughs> three years to build. So he's just full of awesome quotes. He talked about DJing again, talked about some of his hobbies. So he's, he's an awesome guy. I love listening to him. 
He really is interesting. So when you, when you talk about the potential things they could do up front defensively, I mean, they went a lot of three down three with one standing up last year. Do you envision them potentially going to some more four down with some more stunning and twisting? Do you ever see that as something they could potentially do that falls in that bucket of 15% to you? I think it's something we may see. I just, I don't know. I don't know how, Oklahoma State's personnel sets up with that because kind of where do I'm you at. want do you want Colin Oliver with his hand in the ground? Do you want Trace Ford with his hand in the ground? And if not, are you going to take those guys off the field for very many plays? Also, you know, going back and watching his film, as as you know, and I texted you about annoyingly multiple times. I watched a lot of Auburn and Vanderbilt. He didn't really go a lot of four down four hand. Yeah, in the you're ground, right. He didn't, except for back in his Vanderbilt days. So he didn't he he didn't do that a lot at Auburn. So it would be I don't know if it'd be weird to see him revert back to that a lot. But it's you're right. It's something we could see. I think he's going to try to confuse people with the front. And I think it's going to be a bunch of different stuff. No, I only ask that. I, I think I'm with you. It's not. It's one of those things like it's a box you check. Like, do you expect to see that or not? And I I wouldn't based on the reasons you just outlined. It's that personnel of Colin Oliver. I could see Trace Ford with more situations where his hands in the ground over a Colin Oliver. We don't know. I mean, Trace Ford, he's coming off a big knee injury. Don't know what his explosiveness looks like. So it, it could be interesting there, but no, I think I'm with you. I, I don't expect a ton of that, but I was just curious, like what in that 15% you might expect to see. So anyway, just curious. Yeah. I, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see on the back end too, because it was a lot Obviously, Knowles played a lot of man. He also played a, cover, yeah. a lot of cover three last year, which we talked about a lot on the podcast, kind of going to zone more often. I don't know how much Mason's going to run cover two. You know, we've seen the Tampa two with Knowles, but just flat out cover two would be something a little bit different. We, oh, I know you're Knowles right. has wow. gone to it before, but that'll be something a little bit different. The match zone and match defense that he references – I'm sure Knowles mixed that in as well. It's kind of hard. You know, we've talked about on here. It kind of looks like man. So it's a little hard to tell when they're in match zone at times, but that might be a little bit different. And then, you know, we talked about the man off five yards off the ball will look a little different because Knowles played a lot of press. So it'll be interesting to see how much those things are incorporated in that he mentioned from the Alabama game. And just that I mentioned, and you mentioned from when we broke down the film, but we'll, we'll see. It's, it's crazy that we're talking about this 15%. It's probably going to look exactly the same until we go back and rewatch and really break it down. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like you pointed out No, Cool. Well, I, I, again, I'll be excited to see what happens because I mean, he seems to have, he has a respect for what Jim Knowles built, but also I'm excited to see what his style is and what he puts on it. So. Yeah. It's really awesome to listen to him talk practice practice wise don't have a ton of notes from this week i know that uh that spencer sanders was kind of throwing it all over the yard the other day i believe that was late last week and it was a heavy work day for dom Jaden nixon ali gordon cj brown doing a lot of stuff with the running backs and getting them involved on defense jason taylor with some interceptions kendall daniels again making plays on the back end and then Rotating in at uh, backup cornerback, we talked about DeMarco Jones, Beeman, Reagan, Ray Gay, Cam Smith, and Dylan McKinney. I, I think it's – I don't know who – I don't think they're going to have that nailed down until they start practice back in the fall. But I think you're right. 
the fact that Kendall Daniels continues to make plays, I'm going to be shocked if he's not out there on day one. I know him and Sean Michael Flanagan have been rotating reps at that position, but if it's not Kendall Daniels number five on the depth chart day one, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty surprised. I think, man, he looks the part, doesn't he? Like just the pictures from practice. It's like, okay, he's, he's put together. He, uh, and by all accounts is making plays. So I'm, yeah, I mean, of all players, it's got to be like players that I'm most excited about. I think Ollie Gordon's one, but I think Kendall Daniels has to be two because I think talent wise, got to be one of the most talented guys that they've brought in just from a, a sheer recruiting profile, uh, uh, you know, standpoint. Obviously, Colin Oliver it might be an NFL Hall of Famer one of these days. You never know. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I mean, Kendall Daniels unlocks a lot for this team if he can be uh, if he can be what we think he might be able to be. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I know we've we've got the offense, the four offensive linemen, uh, Wilson, Barr, Maholski, and Woodard that are working back into practice, still not doing any contact stuff. We don't have any update on the Cole Birmingham news. I know they there was a Twitter picture posted where he has some crutches with him. I, I know he's definitely injured. I, praying that it's that it's not as serious. I mean, obviously for him and yep. you know, for, the, for the season as well. But uh, we'll we'll update you if we get any more news on that. But it sounds like it's it's not looking great. Uh, other than that, you mentioned at the top of the pod, it's going to be a practice. So Gundy said they're going to have individual drills, some seven on sevens, inside drill, and then they're going to have a team eleven on an eleven on eleven period at the end. It's going to be two hours long. Fans will be able to go down on the field after the game, I think for like 30, 45 minutes. So it may not be the most exciting thing, but it'll definitely be interesting. I know, I know I'll be there. Uh, Kate, are you going to go down? I think I will be there. And it, awesome. it's going to be a weekend in Stillwater. You've got softball against Texas, correct? You have baseball against TCU. And then you have the spring game happening in Boone Pickens Stadium. I think it's a weekend to be in Stillwater, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, there was a couple of Gundy quotes from when he met with the media, too, that were a little interesting. They asked him about if he's worried about the offensive line. He said, we'll have 25 offensive linemen in August, so we'll be just fine. We just don't have them right now. <laughs> yep, So <laughs> sounds about right. He, he said he had some positive things to say about Caleb Etienne. He said the, uh, the work that they'll be able to do in the summer and fall. He referenced that rule change. I think he's talking about how they're now able to – able to do walkthroughs and stuff. I believe they implemented that in 2020 in like mid oh, or early July. So he referenced that that'll be some good time for Caleb to just continue going over, but he seems excited for him. Makes me think he's pretty much got that left tackle spot locked down. Um, and outside of that, not a ton of football news this week. We'll have a lot of stuff to talk about next week. You know, after the spring finale, we'll be able to break that down since both you and I will be there. We'll have some notes from that, but not a ton, not a ton of interesting stuff outside the quotes from uh, from Mason and Dunn. I mean, is the spring game dead in college football? Is it just dead? I mean, the pageantry is not there. It just seems like a box you have to check. Yeah, I, I almost wish the Oklahoma State game was on TV. Oh, I do too. That would be, I mean, ESPN Plus. That seems like something you could easily make a, a accommodation for. Yeah, I completely agree. You and I could call that game. That's no problem. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome i don't know if it would be it would be something that's for sure um dustin i mean if you've got one one thing you're excited you're going to be in stillwater this weekend what are you excited to see in that practice 
think I'll just be interested to see what they do on defense, just in general, how they line up. I don't, I'm sure they're not going to show their entire deck of cards, their entire hand, but it'll be fun to watch what Derek Mason does. It'll be cool to see if they do some of those different fronts. And then I'm really excited to see all the wide receivers. Yeah. And lastly, Ollie Gordon. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious if you've been listening to this podcast, kind of probably the things we're excited about. I may have one. Gunnar Gundy to Langston Anderson. We've heard it. I want to see it. I want to know. Let's see it in the 11 on 11. It, that'll be that'll be fun to kind of watch Rangel and Gunnar Gundy out yeah. there, you know, because that's it's maybe not the most exciting position competition, but it is a competition for the backup quarterback spot. I know you and I both think Gundy has it pretty much locked down, but oh, we'll see. You know, maybe Rangel is showing a little bit more than what we've heard, and it'll be nice to see what those guys can do. It's just going to be weird knowing that the offensive line is not what it's going to be on day one. So you can't really get a lot out of that. It, it's cool to see the other guys getting reps, but I think this is going to be mainly focused on the skill positions and yeah, the defense. I, I totally agree with you. I I'm excited to go watch this through the lens of the idea of Gunnar Gundy being your starting quarterback next year, I, because that's kind of where you're at, right? Like it, they, they could bring in somebody from the transfer portal again. Well, Spencer has that second year as well. Oh, he does so this is really like his who, who redshirt knows, junior type of year yeah who knows if he'll oh, take forget. it if he'll transfer if he'll forget you know, try to go to the league if he has a great year but we'll see no, sorry forget I mean what to, I mean yeah no that. no we'll podcast over thought. forget it nope nope <laughs> but on that note let's go ahead and take a break and hear a word from one of our sponsors All right, guys, listen up. Sponsor on the podcast, Homefield Apparel, is absolutely crushing it. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely need to. I mean, they are leading the charge in premium vintage collegiate apparel right now. Uh, I mean, they are offering vintage college sports t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, with over 100 schools available. And I mean, they're adding new ones all the time. This is the perfect gift. Uh, Homefield Apparel for the sports fan, for the college sports fan. You got to go check them out. And use our promo code FEELS12 to get 15% off your first order. And, of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping, as always. Promo code FEELS12, 15% off your first order. And all orders over $100 get free shipping at Homefield Apparel. Visit them at homefieldapparel.com. Well, Dustin, the best news I got all day was you reminding me that Spencer Sanders' eligibility is is not up after this year. I completely forgot he had that extra year. So kudos to you. Thank you for that. He's going to be like the Adam Morrison of, of the Big 12. It's going to feel like he's been there forever. There <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how Texas fans are going to feel when he rolls into Austin again for the third time in two years. I mean, he's he's <laughs> he's like fellow Cowboy Dylan Stoner. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. But I'm I'm excited. That that's that's better. That's a better situation to be in. Um, I mean, Dustin, we had a quick note. I mean, you and I have talked a little bit, I think off air, maybe a little bit on air too. Devin Harper is a little bit of an interesting figure in this in this NFL draft. Has has definitely been on the outside looking in, but we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Got some meetings with the Indianapolis Colts, Dallas Cowboys. It seems like he's picking up some traction now with with more teams calling. 
Yeah, Ian Rappaport posted on his Twitter that Harper's met with the two you mentioned, which we mentioned on the pod, which I believe that was on the Orange Power podcast with Jessica Mori, where Devin Harper said that he was meeting with the Colts and the Cowboys. And then he goes on, Ian Rappaport says he's meeting with, he met with the Falcons, Cleveland Browns, Detroit Lions, and Baltimore Ravens. Kate, if, if teams see this Ian Rappaport tweet, somebody's going to draft him. Here's because the deal. If, if, he, see if his he makes film, the they free would. agency, it's his choice. Oh, that's a really good point. Somebody's if they would just him. watch his film, they'd draft him. I would think. I think he's the, he's the best kept secret in this draft. I mean, he's an NFL linebacker. He killed it on his pro day. All of his all of his metrics got up there in like the top five of linebackers. You know, he ran that four five one forty, put up the bench press a good number. He had the over forty inch vertical. So and it's I, I know his cone and shuttle were really good too. So I, I know our guy Adam Luntz has been you know advocating for Devin Harper. You know to be at the combine to be in the mix. He just kind of said what you said that he's extremely underrated. So. The fact that you two guys are preaching that just from what, what I've seen from him on film and what he did at the pro day, and now he's got meetings with all these teams, I think this guy could sneak into the draft. It would be awesome to get two guys. I mean, Rodriguez is going to get drafted. It would be pretty cool to have those two linebackers get drafted <laughs> Both next year. Oklahoma State linebackers drafted at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that, that would be, be pretty, pretty cool. nuts. I, I don't think that – I can't remember the last time that would have ever happened where Oklahoma State has two linebackers drafted. Yeah, that – I honestly would doubt it has any time recently but yeah, i mean not that i can recall so anyway correct this on that i'm sure uh also kate just one last note before we move off nfl this just happened uh shout out to our guy dylan hayes i saw it in our little group message um vincent taylor signed with the atlanta falcons oh interesting okay yeah, i guess so. i he's a free agent i guess i forgot that yeah, I believe so. I don't I don't see any details. It's just on the Atlanta Falcons Twitter. They said we have it's very short and sweet. It says we have signed DL Vincent Taylor. Fantastic. Okay, great to know. Congrats to Vincent. New, new Falcons fan. The problem is that is my least favorite team as I'm that's a New Orleans a, that's Saints a fan. Really good point. That's divisional for you. I'll still root for Vincent Taylor. Yeah, no. I mean, and you guys got to play each other twice. That's tough. Anyway, well, exciting stuff there. I mean, Dustin, maybe one of the biggest stories of the week, the biggest news. I mean, and we can talk a little bit about spring game visitors here in just a second. But I mean, let's let's just start here. Zane Flores committing. We talked about this last week as a possibility. Uh, takes the visit. We, we and may have called it. I think we called it. Yeah. <laughs> you're 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 less bashful than me in that regard but yeah we we totally called it um get him on campus and you feel pretty good about it and it well, moved up his visit too that always helps that always yeah. helps so you know 63 185 195 some of that information is conflicting but out of gretna nebraska powerhouse out of omaha everybody's heard of gretna nebraska so uh but an interesting prospect and is one that i thought would be a fit based on what the type of quarterback they've recruited in the past. He reminds me of Garrett Rangel, just a, a little bit of a similar type of quarterback. And I even told you this off air, Dustin, if you've watched his film, I don't know if this is accurate or anything, but he gives me tiny Taylor Cornelius vibes, not the <laughs> biggest arm, pretty accurate though. Doesn't throw the prettiest ball, but takes really big strides and he just kind of has that look about him he doesn't do it to me doesn't do anything over the top great but I think he's more than serviceable everywhere 
Yeah. So just to kind of reek and okay, the, that was a great breakdown just to kind of recap what happened with the Oklahoma state 2023 quarterback. They offered, you know, they offered a bunch of guys, none of them hit. They really had their hopes set on from what we've heard on Bo Edmondson. He committed yep. to Michigan state. So then they went and offered two more guys, Zane Flores, who were, who you just talked about and Brock Glenn. So Flores like you said, 6'2", 190. I've also seen 6'3", 195. Three-star, the 29th-ranked QB, fourth-ranked player in Nebraska. He led Gretna to the 2021 Class A state championship, which is the largest class in Nebraska. So that would be like your 6A or your 5A in some states. Through 230, 232 completions on 331 for a 70.1% completion percentage, almost 3,000 yards, 26 TDs seven interceptions with a max preps QB rating of 114.2 on the season. He also ran the ball 74 times for 216 yards and had 10 touchdowns. So like you said, th this guy, you know, I was able to watch three full games of his. I put it out on Twitter. I tried to break it down by completions less than 10 yards, over 10 yards, his incompletions and his rushes. I really liked what I saw on film. Like you said, he, He's got a pretty live arm. It's not the strongest arm I've ever seen. I think it's probably a little bit stronger than Rangel and Gundy have right now on the roster. He can throw some, he can throw it with some zip. He can throw it with some touch. If you watch his huddle tape, he looks like the greatest quarterback of all time. That's yeah, he really does. That's why I wanted to go in and actually watch some of his game film, but I thought he was fairly accurate. You know, I kind of broke down some of the different categories he was really accurate on the short to intermediate throws. I think his completion percentage, 70.1 is really high. You know, anything above 60 is pretty solid. The 65 range is really good. It's a little bit inflated if the if the three games I watched are anything like how the rest of the season was because he threw a lot of passes behind a lot of scrimmage. Wide receiver screens, swing passes to the running back, halfback screens, even a lot of quick hitches, quick slants. So, high percentage throws that he was making, but he completed pretty much every single one of them. So still impressive there. Normally let his guys hit him in the right spot, do it in between defenders. Uh, so I'm not saying not, no knock on his accuracy. There just wasn't a lot of deep throws down the field that I saw, but when he did, when he did have them, he normally overthrew them as opposed to underthrowing his receiver, which kind of shows off that arm strength a little bit. Yeah. And there were, there were quite a few drops by the Gretner wide receivers too. Decision-making wise, kid, this was the big kind of sticking out point to me. He seems like a sharp guy just from kind of some of the interview stuff. I read some of the quotes I've seen, but he went to his first read a lot. There wasn't a lot of second read, a lot of kind of having to survey the field. He did do some looking off safety, but it looked like that was something he was kind of coached to do. So I'm sure, I'm sure he can read defenses. There were some, some examples of it in the film I watched. There just wasn't a lot and that was actually something that Garrett Rangel that stood out to me on his film. And I know it stood out to our guy, our guy Lund as well, that he was actually making a lot of decisions mid play and having to kind of check down through his different progressions. Um, we talked about his arm strength mobility wise, not a ton of design runs, but there was some zone read. It looked like it didn't look like a read because they would run that zone read and he would hand it off 95% of the time. And every now and then he would keep it maybe like three or four times in the games I watched a lot of QB draws though, which is, you know, Casey Dunn staple that we've seen yeah. with Sanders. And when he gets going like, like a Taylor Cornelius, like you pointed out, 
he can actually get up to a pretty good speed. He's just got to take, he's just got to get there. <laughs> yeah. And he blasts through people, not a, not a ton of wiggle side to side, but he did make a guy miss on one of the runs and he's able to scramble away from pressure. I don't know how well he'll be able to do that at the college level from what I've seen now. I know he'll get stronger. He'll get faster, but I think he needs to improve in those areas, but like, like Rangel and Gunnar Gundy, I think he's got pretty similar mobility to them. Overall, I think he's a solid pickup. I think he's a guy that could come in and be your future starter. I don't think he's a true guy comes in and starts as a true freshman, but which is good with Sanders having the extra year eligibility. But I think this is someone that comes in and competes with Gunnar Gundy and Garrett Rangel and maybe surpasses them for that number two and even number one spot down the road. Yeah. And I just, I just don't think he's ever going to be asked to do anything crazy. So it's like, you know, all three of those guys are very similar quarterbacks to me. We, we have never seen, well, we have seen some of Gunnar Gundy, very little, but they all three have similar measurables and I think are similar quarterbacks. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all shuffles out and who ultimately ends up taking that number two spot down the road. It seems like it's all gunners, but um, you know, there's going to be a log jam there where it's kind of similar guys, similar recruiting profiles. So it's just going to be interesting to see how all of that shakes out. But again, to me, I, I was impressed, as you said, with his arm strength and his accuracy on some of the short throws. And then lastly, he got the ball out quick. I know as, so you, as you mentioned, like it's typically going to his first read, but he didn't ever really not know where to go with it. It seemed like it didn't seem like he ever got confused in the tape that I watched through his guys open. Yeah, for times. sure. For sure. He did. Actually, there was one where I was watching it with my daughter and she said he caught it. And it was one that he actually threw his, his receiver open into the boundary, as you're mentioning. So uh, it is that way. And I'll be, again, it'll be interesting to see how he develops and what he ends up being able to do. I think you nailed it with his mobility. Straight line speed seems decent enough, um, but not a lot of wiggle to him. So it takes a little bit for him to get up and going. So uh, again, might be a candidate for one of those like wide receiver to QB throwbacks that, that Mike Gundy loves to run. Uh, So maybe one of these days we'll get to see it, but overall, I mean, I'm happy with it. I think you had to have a quarterback in this class. And I think after what happened with Bo Edmondson, this is, I think this is as good as you could have expected. I, I 100% agree, Kate. That's, that's, you had to get somebody, especially with Shane Illingworth leaving. You only got two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster right now. Well, I guess Gundy isn't even technically on scholarship. So yeah. Got oh, you're Garrett, right. Garrett Rangel. <laughs> I bet that changes. But, but you've got a, so one thing I wanted to point out with him, he, there's an article on The Athletic actually about him. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. But it talks about how, he didn't start really getting any offers from major schools until February. And that's when Oklahoma mm-hmm. state offered as well. And now it's really picked up. He's got Kansas state, Kansas, Pittsburgh, Missouri, Oregon state, Washington. And he just took an unofficial to Ohio state. Sheesh. I'm a little worried about somebody else coming in and trying to snatch him. You know, Nebraska hasn't offered yet, which I know the Nebraska fans from what I've seen on their message boards are a little upset about that. If they come in an offer, who knows, you know, if an Ohio State makes an offer, the fact that he visited on April 4th and they haven't extended one yet, I'm not sure. But I'm a little worried he could maybe be a potential candidate for a decommit and commit somewhere else. I'm not I'm not predicting that. Whoa. I'm not wishing for that. But he's he's really picked up. If he has another solid start to his senior season like he did his junior year, 
you watch out. Oklahoma State's going to need to keep an eye on this kid and try to get, try to keep him locked down. Coach Rute is going to need to, you know, take him out to some more hideaway pizza I, dates. I didn't realize he had taken an unofficial to uh, Ohio State. Yeah, I, I did see actually in that athletic article too that he was supposed to go to camp at Nebraska and went ahead and took a visit to Kansas instead. So maybe a little shot at Nebraska for not offering him. So maybe if they offer, he doesn't take it, but I I'm assuming he's a Nebraska fan born and I would think there. So I would think so. Well, either way, an interesting prospect one, I think you and I are both happy about Um, Dustin, a couple, couple notes here. Isaiah Robinson took a visit recently. Is that correct? I think with Zane with, yeah, with Zane. That's right. So he, Isaiah Robinson, I, I would love for them to get this guy, four-star, offensive tackle, 6'8", 288 pounds. Sheesh. He was a Max Preps sophomore All-American in 2020. Absolute monster. He was on a visit. I think we mentioned this on the last podcast. He actually was on a visit at Alabama when Gundy was there for the coaches clinic, which is pretty interesting. He had some really nice things to say about Oklahoma State. I saw it uh, on 247 that Cody Nagel wrote about. But one quote stuck out to me when asked where Oklahoma State ranks. He said they were already really high. Right now it's about the same. I'd say top 15. <laughs> <laughs> now that, you know, he, he probably just maybe threw out an arbitrary number. But when you got schools like Alabama that you're visiting and you say top 15, it doesn't make me super, super, you know, confident that he'll come to Oklahoma State. But he would be a monster get. And – if they get somebody like that on the offensive line, you know, I'm, I'm dancing in the streets. That is, that is hilarious. I always thought like the top 15 was actually like a myth. I thought that was just what they put on social media and there's no way there's actually 15 schools in the picture. Well, there is for Isaiah Robinson. It sounds like so. And I don't like the 15 that they're competing with. Yeah. Like they're in my top three and probably leaning top two. So I'm making a decision. That's where I I thought you were headed. Um, Yeah. So anyway, that that, we'll see. That's just one quote though. He had some great things to say about Oklahoma state. So, well, well, speaking of visitors, I know uh, with this upcoming weekend being the spring game, you and I have been on the case of Dylan McDuffie for, for months now as a potential candidate out of the transfer portal. You and I actually, I think you and I both agreed on like an 80% likelihood that if he gets to the ca- campus on the spring game, he was going to commit. Well, Wrong. he never got there. He never got yeah. there. He's <laughs> right about Georgia Tech. And- Wrong about <laughs> McDuffie. So, yeah, sorry I interrupted you there, but committed to Georgia Tech. Not – I guess not that surprising now looking back on it. I, I didn't really know that they were involved. I kind I didn't of either. set my sights on him going to Oklahoma State after they offered and he was coming to the spring game instantly after that. But I know Georgia Tech had their running back transfer. He had a great season. He transferred to Alabama. So I think they had an opening there. He's probably going to go in and be the number one guy, I would assume, right away at Oklahoma State. He's got he's gonna have Gundy would make him come in and compete with Don, yeah. you know, even Jalen Warren last season, he wasn't start, he didn't start out as the one back. LD right. Brown was in there first. So I guess maybe Georgia Tech told him he had no competition. He could come in and start day one. They just lost that talented running back to Alabama. So it's a tough loss. I don't know, Kate. What do, what do you think? Do you think they still try to go after a running back? 
Yeah, I think I, I think I don't think they do. I mean, at this point, like who's in the portal that they might take a look at? I mean, if somebody falls in their lap, Jalen Warren style, then maybe. Uh, and I remember Jalen Warren came in late last year, too, but I don't think it was even this late. I think he, he was around in the spring, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Because we had heard all about him in the spring. It was like, hey, you need to take a look at this guy. Um, so I again, I think I think that ship has probably sailed for a transfer portal running back, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We uh, we have a few more visitors. We went through them last week just to kind of kind of recap that you've got the commits, Jack and Dean, Jaden Foreman, Jacoby Sanders. Again, missing Cam Franklin, who took that old Miss visit. Yeah, that's bad news, Bears. Uh, and then you've got Jalen Braxton, Avian Carter, Brock Glenn, who I think we got a question about this. We can hit it a little bit later, too. I think he's still going to visit. He's the other quarterback. Yeah. We'll see, though. I, I'm not sure. It's It was supposed to be an official. I, I think it would be kind of weird for him to just cancel that, even with the Zane Flores news. You've got Dylan Smith. And then 2024 recruit, you got David Keyes. And then it actually just announced – Lucas Simmons, four-star, 600, 6'8", 300-pound, not 600-pound, standout offensive tackle from Sweden. That, he plays American high school football. He will also be here at the spring game. Wow. The, the Sweden to, to Stillwater Pipeline runs strong. <laughs> hey, He's Brock Glenn and Zane Flores would be an all-hair team. I'll say that. Yeah, the, <laughs> I haven't watched as much film on Brock, but they actually seem to play pretty similar too. So that would be kind of funny if they got both of those guys with, with the big hair, the great What's hair it? and the play style. It's interesting. I mean, if you stacked up Garrett Rangel, uh, Zane Flores, Brock Glenn, Gunnar Gundy, I mean, you're talking about a difference of like, like two inches, a guy, I think Gunnar Gundy is six one. I think that's what he's listed at. Zane Flores is six three. I mean, those are all very similar like styles of quarterback um, that all do a pretty similar job. And, and the Brock Glenn thing is interesting. He's, he's kind of, at least based on what 24 seven says, Mississippi state seems to be the, the front runner there. He is uh, he's from Memphis, but again, Mississippi state being a leader there against, you know, teams like Auburn, Mississippi state, Missouri. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And if he actually does end up attending. Um, but like you said, it would be weird to cancel even if, even if it's kind of out of the picture, might as well go eat some cheese fries. Yeah. from Yeah, exactly. From everything I've heard, he's still going to be there. So it would have had to have been something that changed shortly yep. after the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty late. Well, it's very interesting. Um, Dustin, one thing I do want to do uh, before we move on to the basketball transfer portal is take a break and hear a word from another one of our sponsors. Please welcome a new sponsor to the Feels Like 45 podcast, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is a fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your unique goals and circumstances so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash Price hyphen Buckley, B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. Again, you can reach him at 469-757-0290. Price, appreciate your support of the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm going to need to get like a pop filter or something on my mic with all those P's in the, in the end of that uh, ad read there. But Dustin, I mean, a, a huge, humongous Cowboy basketball story coming out last night. 
Marcus Smart winning NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Wild. So awesome. And did you see the video? Gary Payton was there because he's the first yeah. guard to win it since Gary won it in 1995. I didn't see the video. Yeah, it was really cool. It was at the Celtics. It looked like their practice facility. Marcus Smart comes in. Everybody's cheering. He gets to uh, see Gary Payton in there. They talk for a little bit. It, it, it was really cool. He's just smiling from year to year. And a guy that definitely deserved it, we talked about on the podcast that he might have a shot to win it. But again, he's the first guard since 1995-96. So, you know, Rudy Gobert was in the mix. Um, but Marcus Smart came away with it, and that's huge for just – I think it's huge for Oklahoma State recruiting. It's huge for Marcus Smart, obviously. And it's just awesome to see a guy like that that hustles, goes out every day, and competes to win a big-time award. I mean, Gary Payton's pretty good company when it's just you two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, awesome. And, and you got Cade Cunningham up for rookie of the year as well. I think he could win it. Do you? I, I think he could. I, I know he's, he missed a few games here and there with injuries. And I know Detroit kind of sat him sometimes near the end of the season, especially in that Thunder game. He came out for a few minutes and then sat. So I, I don't know how that'll affect it, but he definitely has the stats to do it. I definitely think he had the, the rookie season performance, but that would be awesome if they both won. Man, I mean, so this this kind of goes back to the Ring of Honor discussion. Does this not strengthen Marcus Smart's case a little bit? I mean, that's that's huge. Oh yeah, it definitely does. And I saw we got some we got some mentions on Twitter about you know Eddie Sutton being in there and things like that. I think we were trying to go with a like we said yeah. a more recent player to start it off with. Obviously, Eddie Sutton's going to be on there. His name's on the court that's a good but, point but that probably would be the first i mean shoot i mean do you put iba up there first do you put i mean see that, man that's where do you thing. where does it end at that point you could just yeah, go down so that rabbit hole for we a. were just kind of keeping it keeping it current just for that the sake of discussion but yeah i think that really strengthens marcus smarts marcus smarts uh ring of honor but he's the so he's the also the only other celtic to win it is kevin garnett in 2007 2008 the award's only been around since 1982 but he finished it smart, finished the year ranked sixth in the NBA in steals per game, fifth in defensive win shares. The Celtics led the NBA in defensive rating. He ranked ninth in the NBA and was fifth amongst all guards with a defensive rating of 105.2. And he finished first in the league with loose balls recovered per contest. So just filling up the stat sheet on yeah. the defensive side of the floor. That's nuts. He's he's a freak. It was it's fun to watch him in the NBA. He is totally found his role with the Celtics and they love him. I mean, he is, he's the glue guy. They, they say he might be the most important player on that team. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's the truth. I really think he is. He, he just kind of drives their defensive identity, which has been kind of the identity of that team this season. Yeah, no doubt. Well, beyond that, Dustin, I mean, not a ton to get to in the transfer portal. Unfortunately, Lots of players falling out of the transfer portal and into the arms of other waiting teams. I mean, there's only four from the list we gave you all last week uh, that are still available. But the one that remains for me, and I think the one that unlocks a lot, is Courtney Ramey. I mean, the situation there is very interesting because I think you posed this question. Could, could Oklahoma State be waiting on Courtney Ramey to see what he does before proceeding? I mean, it's an interesting discussion. Yeah, it's it's a little concerning because I know he wants that NBA draft grade, but the fact that we haven't really heard anything besides anything. Oklahoma State being linked to him, we haven't heard any any rumblings of him 
you know, kind of leaning one way or the other. He hasn't set up an official visit or even like any kind of visit with Oklahoma State from what I've seen. It's a little concerning. I know I sounded pretty confident last week. I think my confidence is starting to drop a little bit. And like, like you said, like I said, I know he's waiting on that draft grade, but it's still a little concerning that we haven't seen anything else come out about it recently. It is weird. I mean, there's really been no even like big time buzz with the player. I mean, in the Courtney Ramey thing, frankly, I mean, I, I, I've heard some things about, you know, they might feel good about it, but that's it. Like, that's really it. So a little bit of it is a guess. I mean, and so you really don't know um, where Oklahoma State stands there. So uh, I, I think I'm with you. I'm not ready to sound the alarm yet, To for in my opinion. I think there's still plenty of time. There are going to be so many guys entering and exiting the transfer portal. So plenty to get to there. Um but anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to press the button yet. Yeah, I agree. And your, your sentiment leads into this Mike Point quote that I, that I had. Uh, I saw this on Pistols Firing. He says, I hate time frames. When it's a process-oriented deal like recruiting is, you got to do the best you can to be as diligent and thorough as possible. The portal can be tricky. There's a lot of fish in the ocean. You can get anything. Seaweed, you can get a nice bass. It may not be your deal. It may not fit what you have. We got Musa in July last year. We got BT, I think, in May. Sometimes patience is a little more apt and necessary than just trying to fill with the first guy you see. So, mm. Cade, Mike Boynton kind of echoes your last statement there when you finished your point. Yeah, like I, yeah, when I finally got around to doing that, I, I don't, again, I'm not worried about it yet. I mean, the Courtney Ramey thing, I mean, how long does he have to pull out of the draft? I think that's, that draft grade might not come back till this summer. Like it could be a, a June or July type timeframe, isn't it? I thought it was like early May. I have Is to go look that okay. up. Okay. I may be completely wrong. I'm sure somebody will let us know. Um, believe it or not, I can't have all of it. I, I should have that right in front of me, but I don't. Um, but yeah, the fact I forgot that Musa Cisse was that late in the process in July, but we didn't even really know that they were in the market for another player at that point. Like, I, I don't remember that being the case. I remember, uh, you know, Tyreek and Bryce happening pretty quickly. And then, and then Musa just kind of falls in their lap. Yeah. It, it was definitely, those were definitely some that kind of popped up and super excited about him. But he makes a great point. He did, you mentioned in Musa Cisse, he did say, we don't really need any more bigs. So it doesn't sound like he's going to try to do that, which is something I, you and I thought. And I would agree we don't need any people, more bigs. Yeah, with the people they've reached out to. And, and Kate, to go back to what you said at first, it's Caleb Asbury from Texas State, Courtney Ramey from Texas, Sean Duergan from Mizzou, Marcus Hammond from Niagara. And then actually right before we got on the pod, Shaquille Moore from Mississippi State. He also played at NC State, 6'1", 180-pound guard. He also has mentioned that Oklahoma State has reached out. So he's in there as well, 8.7 points per game, 2.7 assists per game. Not great from three, 31% last year, 34 the season before. But he started 29 games at Mississippi State. I, haven't got, I didn't get a chance to watch, but I'm assuming he was at the point guard spot or at least some kind of combo ball handler guard. Yeah, I again, there's so many guys to keep up with. Like I've I've never even heard of Shaquille Moore until you just mentioned him. So I'm going to be totally honest with you. Don't don't know the guy. Sure, he's great, but we'll see. Um, 
Dustin, I mean, plenty, plenty still to get to. So let's let's kind of run through baseball. I mean, doing exactly what we asked, taking two out of three on the road against the at the time Big Twelve leading West Virginia Mountaineers. So uh, a big a big series for Oklahoma State. That that was big. Yeah, Oklahoma State's taking that Big Twelve lead from them. Now. That's right. So they won. They won two one on Friday. Lost two to five on Saturday, and then got the run rule that you see sometimes happen on Sunday games that the coaches agree on it when there's travel involved, especially what Morgantown to Stillwater travel. They won 13 to three in eight innings. Um, it was, it was a pretty, pretty fun series all around West Virginia. Those guys like to talk a lot of trash Austin Davis. Yeah, that was, uh, that was weird. He was outfielder for West Virginia was kind of giving it to uh, Oklahoma state in the first game. They ended up losing. And then in game two, he had a solid game. Uh, Adam Miola puts a at third base, puts a pretty hard tag on him because it actually looked like, and on replay, I think he did leave the base when he jumped up and Miola tagged too. him. They went to replay the West Virginia announcers actually thought he was out. They ended up saying, keeping the call on the field that he was safe, but, uh, you know, he had a pretty good game. Then he scores. He's jumping all around, super excited. And then he goes on, Kate, to uh, fly out, strike out twice, and get run ruled the next day. So, and didn't he drop a ball in the outfield, too? Yeah. So, so maybe, uh, maybe, maybe just sit down. Austin yeah. It, a little a bit of a tough look there for, for what is a, a pretty, a sh- he's a short guy, right? Like we can go, Miolo was tight. much bigger than him. Yeah. We can so. go straight at it. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, I'll, I, I personally don't want to fight him. He would, he would beat me. Up, yeah. Well, I'm the gloves saying. are off though, when you start acting like that. So it was really, it was really funny to see uh, Oklahoma state put up a five spot. And then what would have that been a, a, a six spot in the eighth inning to go ahead and get that run roll. I mean, Griffin Dorshing with another, mammoth home run out into left field i mean that that first inning was very exciting three home oh, runs yeah. uh i think it i don't think it was back to back to back but uh it's just they the, the bats woke up on sunday so again doing what they asked and i know oklahoma state right now in a in a battle with oral roberts and actually oral roberts as we're speaking is now up five to one so yeah, they had another home run a that's that would be a tough loss as you go take care of business uh in Morgantown and then and then drop one to Oral Roberts. So let's hope that's not the case by the time this podcast is released. <laughs> yeah. So some more highlights from that West Virginia series. Justin Campbell was excellent. He was in game one. He threw seven shutout innings. Fan soccer came in, gave up the one run, but did his job. Then McLean finishes it out, looking awesome in a closing spot again. Marcus Brown with three hits. Caden Trinkle had a nice day. So all around great, great hitting from them. Game two, Victor Medeiros comes out. I actually thought he pitched pretty well. So, Kate, I don't know if you got a chance to watch that game. This is the one that West Virginia wins. So in the third inning, there's two outs. And on a throwdown on a steal to second, it looked like the runner slid through the bag and Houston Morrill tagged him again when he slid through. Again, the West Virginia announcers, when they go to replay, are like, oh, yeah, at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, he did come off the bag. He's out. Called the called him safe on the field. Two outs, remember. Next play, two-run home run, and then the inning ends. So, Maderos gave up three runs, but at that – and I know you can't, you can't do this because it's, you know, just what-ifs, but Maderos really gave up one run, and I'm pretty sure that guy – it looked like he was out to me, but I thought Maderos threw pretty well. 
Cowboys just only had five hits on the day. Uh, Jake Thompson and Mendham drove in some runs, but other than that, there wasn't much. Then you hit on it in game three. Mendham, Marcus Brown, and Dorshing all go deep in the first. Mendham finished two of four with two RBIs. Caden Brumbaugh, who was playing second for Rock Riggio, went three for five. Uh, Edmund kid right there. Um, I think he'd only bat, like he'd only been up to bat like twice before that game. So <laughs> Houston Morrill pitched well, but Kate, the story of game three, which is overshadowed by the offensive performance, is your guy, Bryce Osmond. He went from what I said was his best outing of the season to now this was for sure his best outing. That's, 11 strikeouts and six and two thirds. Man, he, he's got such good mechanics. He's, he's very consistent. Like nothing ever looks different with him. And if they can get that out of him consistently, man, I mean, th- this becomes a really, really dangerous team, I think. Oh, I completely agree. If you can have your Sunday starter, your third yeah. guy – yeah, coming out and throwing what he's done the past two games. It's just, and you know, he's, he's striking out Austin Davis and talking trash to him. That's, that's the stuff that I like. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, your boy, Nolan McLean, another Homer in this series, like he monster, I mean, and he, he does it all. He does it all. He strikes out and he hits homers. <laughs> <laughs> he plays right field. He plays third base. He pitches. Yeah. Him and Houston Morrill, I think could play every single position on the field no i give you a hard time it's like literally every time i look up it's either a a swing at one up out of the zone or he's <laughs> belting one over the batter's eye in in center field like this is just it's just what he does but he's a, he's a freak athlete i mean he can he could legitimately play any position on the field i think so yeah i agree and they've got you mentioned it earlier they've got tcu Coming up after Oral Roberts for the series this weekend, TCU's ranked, they jumped back into D1 baseball's top 25. They're ranked 21st, they're 33rd in RPI. Then you've got a game at Wichita, Kansas to close out that series that's taken several weeks to finish. Ridiculous. (laughs) So they play Wichita State and then they come back in Austin against Texas, who's ranked ninth in RPI and 10th in D1 baseball. So That'll be interesting. Oklahoma State, they continue to field well, fourth in fielding percentage. They continue moving up in batting average. They're up now to 162. I believe they're batting 274 as a team. A couple weeks ago, it was 262. So 16th in whip, they've moved up there. Dorshing, Thompson, Mendham, Erhard, and Brown, all batting above 300. And then, Kate, the last note before we move on, unless you had something else, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Rock Riggio and Zach Erhard. So Riggio took the hit by pitch on the wrist uh, in the last series. He set out the whole Kansas or the whole, uh, sorry, West Virginia series. And then Zach Earhart on a fly out, I guess, tweaked something. And he ended up coming out of the first game of the West Virginia series and didn't return. Josh, our, our buddy, Alabama poke actually shout out to him. Let me know that before the game today in the pregame show, Josh said that he expects Rock and Zach to both be back by this C- by this series, this TCU series, but That's they sat out news. again today. So hopefully they're back. He didn't sound super confident, but I, I think if I had to bet, I'd bet Riggio for sure is back, and then maybe we see Earhart. I just don't know what his injury is. Uh, Josh Holiday's radio show is tomorrow, so we'll get some probably get some more info there. Well, it's great news. This this Oral Roberts game is not looking good. I mean, they're they're Oklahoma State's already moving on to their third pitcher of the night. Five five to one already. They got runners on first and third, nobody out. Like this, this isn't looking great at the current moment. But get healthy. I mean, if you drop this one, that's a bummer. But I mean, what, what do you think? Take two out of three from TCU, try to get the sweep here. What do you what do you yeah. expect? 
I, I think two out of three, but I feel more confident about the sweep in this series than I do about the West Virginia one. You know, West Virginia second in the nation in stolen bases. That really messes with a pitcher. And you saw it mess with the pitchers in some of those games. Not really Bryce Osman or Justin Campbell, but in game two, you know, Maderos, he had the sick pickoff at second though, but he did. It, it, it gets in your head a little bit when these guys are on base jumping all around and they stole a lot of bases and they attempted a lot of steals. TCU comes in, they're 173rd in batting average, 70th in whip. They're just, they're not amazing anywhere. And I think you get the win with Campbell. And then if, if Maderos is able to do what he's been doing and only give up three, four-ish runs, I think the Cowboys can get some hits and get some runs going. And then if, if Osman comes out and pitches anywhere near what he's done lately, I think they can get all three, but I think you shoot, you shoot for two, obviously win the series, but I feel more confident about this, especially at home that them sweeping it. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. I'm excited about it. Um, probably up until like maybe behind Bedlam biggest home series up to this point this year. I know they've got Texas tech later in the year who is uh, also a top 10 team. Um, so home stretch right here. That's that. This is it. Uh, real quick, Dustin, what's, what's the latest on softball? I know like slow week, only a couple of games to talk about. Yeah. Since we podcasted on Thursday and kind of late on Thursday, that softball game ended, I believe when we were on the podcast, we talked about it a little bit on there. So we won't recap that they won nine to four at Kansas on Thursday. Then they won six zero on Friday. And then on Saturday they run ruled 10 two. So on Friday, Kelly Maxwell, 11th complete <laughs> game of the season, 18 strikeouts, ties her for fifth most in a single game with Lauren Bay's 10-inning performance against Northwestern in 2003. I believe it was the most Oklahoma State strikeouts in a seven-inning of, of, you know, a full game that didn't go into extras. Uh, Oklahoma State scored all their runs in the fifth. KU's pitcher actually was throwing a perfect game until the fifth, <laughs> and then they score. Then they go on to score six runs. Taylor Tuck bunted and reached on a throwing error. Sidney Pennington singled, scoring Haley Busby. Cheyenne Factor had a hit Caitlin Carwile. Everybody kind of got into the action there. And then in game three, they go down early. Uh, Miranda Ellish actually gave up some early runs to KU on the Thursday game too. But they come back. Uh, Sydney Pennington had a home run. Cheyenne Factor had a home run. Caitlin Carwile had a double. Morgan Wynn actually got in a little bit in this series. She pinch hit and then she played first. They were all – so she was able to get some hits. You know, we've kind of seen her struggle at the plate. She's an amazing first baseman though. Um, and now you've got Carwile, Ellish, Factor, Evans, Alexander, Pennington, and Cottrell, all starters, all batting <laughs> above 300. Hobson and Tucker also batting above 300. That'll work. I believe, I believe they're 28th in batting average. They're 14th in strikeout to walk ratio. But they've got some big games coming up. Kylie Naomi also okayed miss the series. She tweaked her back in warmups before the first game. Oh, gosh. Kenny Gajewski said on his radio show that she'll be back. She could have played. He just wanted to keep her out. You know, Kansas is one of the, you know, you know, worst teams in the Big 12, so he didn't think he needed to play. Or Sydney Pennington played short, and she played really well, and Petty played third. But they've got – you mentioned it on the last show. They've got Florida State, who's ranked fourth, and they've got Texas, who's ranked 14th, and they've got OU, who's ranked number one, all coming up to end the season. So the Texas series is big. I think you got to try to get at least two there. You yeah, got to get so. try to get at least two at FSU, and then with Texas beating OU this weekend, the girls know they can get one. 
And I think you've got to try to at least get one against OU. I mean, I mean, what do you think? Well, now it now it gets really interesting. Like I think I think you gotta go for the sweep against Texas. And then it's it's I mean, it's like right there. The Big 12 title is like right there. So um I would think they come out on fire for that Texas series. Um, I know it's a lot to ask for a sweep in a series like that, but I mean, if you're going to win the big 12 title, I mean, do you, do you think they'll take two out of three from OU? Like that's, that's the better way to ask it because that's really what's going to end up having to happen. I, I think they've, they're going to have to do that. I think it's going to be tough. I, I think you get the win with Maxwell out there and OU's pitching isn't, I mean, it's good, but you know what they're hitting is what it's they're hitting what they right, do. for their sure. home runs and their batting average. I believe they're, I think their team batting average is something insane. I had it pulled up earlier, but I know they're first in batting average. So if you can get some runs when Maxwell's out there, I don't, you know, I don't think Maxwell's going to blow up. And then it's just how Miranda Ellis comes out and pitches. Yeah. If she's, if she's able to pitch really well, I'm assuming she'll start one and Maxwell will start the other two. I think you get one win for Maxwell for sure. And then I think it's a toss up with the other Maxwell game. And if, if, Miranda Ellis comes out and pitches good. Maybe you can get that one, but Kate, I think it's going to be hard for them to win more than one. Yeah, it's tough. I think so too. And and I know the the OU series is not this weekend. It's not next weekend, but uh, it. I mean, it's still one at this point. But I mean, I, I think you got to at least get two from Texas. But I mean, if you, I really think you need three. I think you need the sweep here. Um, but anyway, an exciting weekend coming up in Stillwater. Again, you got spring game, you got baseball, you got softball, all with, you know, two, two really big series coming up for these teams. So, um, Dustin, real quick, a couple of quick call outs before we get to listener questions. Um, women's men's golf, big 12 tournament this weekend, I think, right? Yeah. Um, the women start on Friday and the men start on Monday or Sunday, I believe. Beautiful, beautiful. Probably, I mean, we we expecting any competition there. I would I would think that I mean maybe Texas this year in golf might be the favorite there. Yeah. So in the women's, I I know OSU is the top, the highest right. ranked Big Twelve team. They're sixth on Golf Stat, who does the the NCAA golf rankings, and then the men are second in the nation. But OU, I believe, is ranked one. So both teams will be able to have a you know, a good shot at competing. You would think, you would think the women can win it even without Fierro and McGinty. And then the men, I, I'm just, I'm expecting Eugenio and Gupta to go off and maybe yeah. they take it too. Let's see what happens. All right, Dustin, let's go ahead and take a move on into listener questions. I know we've got one audio question uh, here from a, I believe this is a new caller and I can't get it pulled up. Dustin, do we have a Twitter one available? I've got. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we could run through the Twitter ones and come back to that. We've got quite a few on Twitter. So appreciate uh, everybody sending these in. The first one is baseball Kyle Matos at Kyle Matos. He says, have you heard any timetables for the injured baseball players? We just kind of hit on that. Josh holiday. He'll probably give more info on his radio show, but it sounds like, he thinks they're going to be back this weekend. If I had to guess, I would think it's going to be Riggio will be back in the lineup and Earhart, I think would just maybe be a toss up because I don't know what his injury is. Marsh, uh, the pitcher, I guess also took a foul ball to the head. So he, that's why he hasn't been pitching. So hopefully he gets back soon as well. Thanks uh, Kyle for that question. 
Okay, do you want do you want to switch the audio? You want to keep well, going through I, that? Well, I, I don't I don't know if we have it. I Cody Allen submitted one, um, but I'm not seeing it anywhere. So Cody, if we don't get to you, I apologize, my friend. I had it earlier and Here, uh, I think let me try to play it on my end. Yeah, if you've got it, I'm not heaven forbid this happened. But if Sanders was to go down in quarter one of game one and be out for the year. How many games is OSU win with Gunnar Gundy or Garrett Rangel as a starting quarterback? Oh, gosh. Dustin, oh, thanks for saving the day there. Appreciate that. Oh, yeah, no problem. Cody, that is a – it's a very good question. It's a, it's a tough question to answer because basically what you're saying, Cade, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you're losing your most experienced and maybe most talented offensive player on the team, your quarterback. Yeah. And going with a guy who's never started a college game and hadn't Bundy. really played a big snap. Yeah. Like or or a true freshman. I mean, that's a I don't know if we should even talk about that. Is that is that reverse juju if you talk about it? So look, I pulled up the schedule. You know, I think they still would win all three non-con games, Central Michigan, Arizona State, and Arkansas Pine Bluff. And then after that, I think three wins, you know, you've got, you've got tech TCU, Kansas, Iowa state, West Virginia, that are all maybes there. I, I don't, I think you struggle with Texas. I think you sh- obviously struggle with OU K state on us. It's going to be pretty good. I think I, I would six? say six or seven wins. Yeah. I, Cody, I'm not answering. I, I'm, I'm abstaining. <laughs> Cody, thank you for the question. We love the voice questions. That was that one put my brain in a pretzel. So that yeah, was a the, really good. The question. delegation from Northwest Oklahoma City is refraining to answer. I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay, up next we got Zach Crow at Z underscore A underscore C underscore ninety eight. Zach asked two questions. His first one is: with the new additions on the O line and the offers out to other key positions in the portal, what do you think the expectations are for this team in 2022? I know y'all mentioned with just the O-line depth and defense, it should be Dallas or bust. But, oh, it's, sorry, I might just be still the, it's all kind of the same question. So, but do y'all think a playoff spot is definitely within reach realistically? Do y'all think OSU could finish with one or less losses? I think the schedule is a little more difficult this year. Um, I think your tough, tougher games are on the road and that naturally, I mean, I mean, Baylor's Baylor's going to be very good. Um, OU is going to be, I mean, who we'll see. It's still Norman. Um, I, I think it's Dallas or bust. I, it's tough saying bust. Like I, I think Dallas is, is the goal. Is it a bust if you go nine and three and then Texas all of a sudden figures it out and OU or Baylor continues their run and I, then no, like if you go nine and three, it's not a bust, but I, I mean, I think Dallas should be the, the goal don't you yeah like you said if you have a nine or possibly even ten win season if you know everybody's playing really well and somehow you don't make it to Dallas I I wouldn't say that as a bust to to your point but I think the big 12 championship game kind of has to be where where you set your goal especially returning Spencer Sanders I know you're losing people on defense you're losing people on the offensive line but when you've got your quarterback, your guy, your big 12 first teamer coming back. A lot of guys coming back at wide receiver, 
a lot of just explosive, talented guys. You got Derek Mason coming in, making the 1.1 mil, Gundy getting the raise. You're talking about elevating to that next level. I think you got to set the goal there. But like you said, if it's nine wins and they win the bowl game, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be super disappointed. I, I am. I'm totally with you. I think though, and I think it is Dallas. I think they'll get there too. I've, I've been pretty open about that. There's, there's really one thing that needs to happen for me to believe that they'll get there. And it's, it's the secondary being better than better than average. I think they just need to be slightly better than average um, to, to get there. Um, so that that's really it for me. And then the second half of that question was, can Oklahoma state make the playoff, man, I let's get through September 1st and we'll talk about it. Um, I do think they have the pieces. I think they have enough running back is still a, a weird one to me. Um, like, do you really trust running back by committee to get you there? I, I, I don't know. Um, and, and Kate is the, is the rest of the big 12 going to be good enough for OU's wins to, for OU to not for OSU to not go undefeated and make it even if they win the big 12, you know what I'm saying? Like, are they going to have a strong enough strength of schedule? If OU has a little bit of a down year, if Texas isn't back, obviously we don't think they're going to be until we see it. Baylor is going to be really good. You know, teams like Kansas state could surprise, but a two loss big 12 team. That's not named Oklahoma is not getting in. See, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm saying. That that's the only reason I would say the playoff spot may not be realistically within reach because to me personally in my in my projection because I'm, I don't I'm think they're going to go undefeated and I don't think they're going to make it if they don't go undefeated this year yeah and one and that's why last year was such a I mean gut punch because it's like one loss seasons are so so rare uh and they they almost got there through the regular season and conference championship I mean that's that's why last season was was difficult because you just don't know when that happens again I mean, look at, look at Nebraska, look at Texas. I mean, you just don't know. So anyway, I think that's a little premature, but I, I do think Oklahoma state is back in Dallas next year. That's, that's where I'm at with them. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's a great, Zach, those are great questions. So really appreciate that. So the next one is from cowboy Forever. That's at Nathaniel Pulse one. He says, what receiver cracks 1K? So 1,000 yards. Tay Martin was the only receiver to do it last year with 1,046. Kate, who you got? I'll say I don't think a receiver cracks 1,000. I, I think okay. I think you could have that. I think you have several receivers in the six to seven to 800 yards receiving. I mean, Jaden Bray could be a 1,000-yard receiver. Could totally see that happening. Um, that's just a big jump to me. Um, to, to get there, but I mean, crazier things have happened. So, you know, my opinion on this, Dustin, if there's one, it's Brennan Presley, just based on volume. I think him and Spencer Sanders have something really special there, but what you and I have talked about Jaden Bray and him also are connecting a lot in practice. So, I mean, it would be one of those two guys, but my, my hot take would be that not one gets there, but you have four receivers that are over like 650, 700 yards. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. If I have to pick one, if you're, hold, if you're holding me to the fire, I'm going to go Jaden Bray. But I think I agree with you. I think it's going to be a season where a couple of guys are maybe near that 800 mark, like a Presley and a Bray. 
instead of one guy over a thousand and another guy at like 650, 700. Yeah. And, and if we see them in the first three weeks go super, I mean, straight turbo as, as Casey Dunn called it, then, I mean, let, let's see if Spencer's throwing it 50 times a game, then they'll get a thousand yard receiver just because. So anyway, the, the offense will have to change if that's going to happen. hundred percent. Thanks again, Zach, for that question or uh, Nathaniel for that question. So next question, we have CSP in 8889 at Chris McGee, 11 McGee. He says, expect any commits during the spring game slash weekend. So Kate, I don't know if you've looked into this at all, but the guys out there who haven't committed are, we mentioned it earlier, Jalen Braxton, Avian Carter, Brock Lynn, Dylan Smith, and then Lucas Simmons is coming in as well. I, if I had, so just from what I know about these guys, I think Avian Carter is a Texas lean. I think that Jalen Braxton has said, I know he recently visited Baylor. I know he said that he was going to make his decision sometime in early July and he wants to cut his list down at his spring game. So just kind of narrowing it down and, you know, Brock Lynn with the Zane Flores news, I think my guess is going to be Dylan Smith. I think he's kind of the biggest OSU lean right now. He talked about it feeling like family. His brother, Cam Smith is on the team. I think he's one of the better offers. I know he's planning to take visits, though, to Colorado, Indiana, SMU, and Stanford. And I don't think he's taken it. I don't think, I definitely don't think he's taken all of those yet. So it would be a little odd if he committed before taking all those, but he's going to be my guest just because I think I narrowed everyone else out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's been the thing is like, there's not really one that's like, impending i thought dylan mcduffie or zane flores would have been it but zane moved his visit and dylan mcduffie canceled his uh, by default so yeah I, i'm with you dustin that one makes a lot of sense but it also seems like a stretch just a spring game commit out of nowhere but we'll see yeah if i was gonna bet i would say none if you're making me pick kind of like with the 1000 yards receiver i'm gonna go dylan smith but that that's a great question because i i kind of had to think about it so we've got Brian Metcalf. Brian, thanks as always at Brian J. Metcalf. He says, with the Flores commitment, it's pretty obvious Gundy and Co. want to go with a pro style QB in the future, no matter who starts after Sanders. I don't know where I'm going with this. Could you argue <laughs> pro versus dual QB style in the college game? Ah, great, great question, Brian. Now, you went. I do, and Kate, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I want you to answer first on this one, but Gunner. Rangel and Flores can all move. They're not Mason Rudolph. Right. They're not yeah. Brandon Whedon, who uh, Derek Mason said ran the slowest QB draw he'd ever seen in that Fiesta. <laughs> he did. That is, that is true. Um, no, I, I think if you look around college football right now, there are not a lot of Shane Illingworths running around. So if you're talking about a quote unquote pro style, I think you're just talking tall and slow. Like, I think that might be where we're headed. Um, is that big arm, like Andrew Luck style. There's just not a ton of guys well, even walking Luck around. Move, though. Well, yeah, but not not even, I mean, who, he could move a little. He, he wasn't great in that regard. Like but you're he, Peyton Manning, you're talking, I know I'm going with the two of the best of all time, but that style of quarterback. That, does, that guy doesn't point, exist. I mean. Yeah, I don't think that's going, I don't think that's. That was that Oklahoma was Shane Illingworth, and he transferred. Yeah. So, 
uh, to me, like look at Baylor and Blake Shapin, like that kid kind of came out of nowhere. I know he's a high three-star recruit, but ultimately like he won Baylor a big 12 title. Like, and it's, he didn't do anything crazy special. He was mobile enough, made good decisions, had a big enough arm and, and was able to move the ball. And so I think just look around college football and, and look at the height, weight and speed of these quarterbacks. It's moving to this like more, um, I don't know, utility player type of, of quarterback. If I can, if I can make that analogy. No, you're 100% correct. And to kind of Brian's point, the pro versus dual, it's really pro slash dual versus pure dual because I just don't think there are that many guys who can't move around that Oklahoma State is even going to go after. I legitimately can't think of one in the Big 12 right now. Like, I can't think of one. It's just – it's just – I know Oklahoma State, while Gundy is there, they want their quarterback now going forward with the offense they're running. I think they're want, they want the guy to at least be able to have some threat to keep it in the zone read game. And obviously Spencer Sanders is more dual. He's an insanely good runner. But I don't, I don't think they're ever going to go back to that Illingworth, Whedon, and Rudolph honestly wasn't like super slow, but no, but I don't think it was not great. <laughs> yeah. I, in that category, I don't think they're going to go back to that anytime soon, I, especially with the guys they've been offering. I mean, Edmondson, Glenn and Flores can all, can all move out of the pocket enough to where you've got to respect them. Yeah. I total agreement here. Um, thanks, Brian. That was a great question. So we've got uh coach Hamby at curse of Cowboys. He's our over under guy. I love, I love this is so good. So he comes at us with over under 650 rushing yards for Spencer Sanders this season. And Kay, just before you answer, I'm going to give you his two, his freshman season and his last season where he put, I don't even know what to call it now that he has the two years left, but he played 13 games and had 668 rushing yards last season. And he played 11 games in his freshman season at 628 the 2020 season, only nine games, so he had quite a bit less. But, uh, you know, kind of those two seasons averaging around like a 640. So that 650 line is great. Yeah, I I like it, and I think I'll take the over. Don't you think if they open this thing up a little bit, he's going to have more opportunities to improvise and, and, and take it on his own? I, yeah. I could see that. I think the – only the only thing I can think, and I agree, I'm on the side with you. I think the only argument I could make for the other side, so we're just not both on the same side on this one, is that I don't know if they trust Gundy or Rangel to come in at yeah, two. Yeah, so do, you're do not you, allowed to run it. Yeah, do you run him a lot? I know Spencer's talked about when he's talked to the media about you know trying this year even more, and he talked about it last year to not take the hit and to get out of bounds or slide. I don't think they'll be conservative, but that's just the only point I would make. If he doesn't get injured, and I know it's a big if, and I should probably factor that into my question because he's had some injury, my answer, because he's had some injury problems in the past. But if he doesn't get injured and plays the full season, I agree with you. I think I think he probably maybe gets to 700. Yeah, I think so. Um, again, just the ability for him to pull the ball down when he's ready and go. Um, that, now, I'll say – that was not a strength of his, his first two seasons, but it was last year. It seemed like he knew when to do that better. Um, so I, I, I'll take the over if he stays healthy. Flores 
learn how to do that. He was, tr- I love watching him truck stick dudes, but yeah, Spencer that. does love the, the truck stick. I'd, I've never understood that. It's like, dude, get down. <laughs> and then we have a, uh, we have one more from that got asked to us today. And then we had one K that actually missed last week. That was a oh, direct got it. message to us. So I want to go back to that. This one we can hit kind of quick. Ross lawyer at our lawyer underscore two twelve. Ross. Thanks as always for the question. You always send in great ones. We hit on this one already, though. It's with the commitment of Zane Flores, do you guys know if Brock Glenn is still going to visit for the spring game and if OSU is even still interested? Considering the McDuffie Georgia Tech commitment news, are there any running backs in the portal to keep our eyes on now? The, the first part, Cade, you know, we hit on this. We think Brock's still coming. The fact that Shane transferred out and they only have really Rangel and Gundy on the roster right now, maybe they take two. So, I think he's still going to come. I haven't heard anything. Maybe something comes out after the pod. You know, it's only Tuesday. And then, Kate, you you gave a great answer earlier about the McDuffie Georgia Tech. We don't, I mean, we don't really think there's anybody eye popping in the portal right now, and we're not even really sure Gundy cares that much about yeah. getting a running back. I both things you said right there are are exactly what I think. Yeah. So, Ross, thank you for those questions. Sorry we hit them earlier. I know we do that sometimes i try to do a better <laughs> every job time every working time. those out but uh our last one kate is from our buddy uh brandon ramos he is a friend of the pod we we chat with him sometimes in dm so thanks brandon for sending this in he says would love to hear your takes on lindy waters nba success so ah. far and what you think his playing time will look like with the thunder next year since he's on a two-year deal Great question. I don't know if we've been asked about Lindy this year yet, which is interesting because no, the Thunder brought it full, up like once. They're in full tank mode, so it's like nobody's really even paying attention. Um, I don't know how his playing time would. I mean, I would think as as the Thunder like open up the season next year, unless they get a a really good draft pick, or as you told me on Saturday, two lottery picks. then then I would expect him to at least be playing. I just don't, I golly. I mean, there's so many variables there. Like he could move back down to the Oklahoma city blue. He's on a two-way deal. So I I don't know. Yeah. So Kate, I'm one of the, uh, you know, some may say we're dumb for keeping our season tickets through the tank, but I had a blast going to those games and watching Lindy this year. Uh, You know, you and I are both huge thunder fans. We love talking thunder. We just try not to, you know, go too much into other sports on this podcast right it's Oklahoma State but when it's about Lindy Waters you can definitely answer it so kid my kind of take on it is they have Lindy on the two-way contract so you, every NBA team gets two two-way players so they've got Lindy on one they recently released Olivier Saar who was on the oh, other that's one right yeah so they released Saar and they kept Lindy which is one good sign so Lindy also confirmed that he is going to be playing in the summer league the Thunder are going to be playing in Salt Lake City and Las Vegas this year, which is a little odd. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll be in both. I'm assuming he'll definitely be in the Las Vegas one since he's one of the younger guys. I believe, is he 24? I think that's right. I think that's right. So he's not super young, but I just think with the way he shot the ball and the way he showed he's able to play team defense, I think the Thunder are going to give him another run. You know, it's a two-year, two-way deal. He's got that second year. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't keep him on unless they, for some reason, keep all their draft picks this year and just don't have any room for him. But the fact that they released Sar kept him. He's saying he's going to play in summer league. I don't know. We'll see how he plays in summer league. Get the Thunder keep him, but I don't think he's. I don't think he's going anywhere. 
I think he's going to stick around in the NBA because of how he performed this year and the fact that the Thunder have seemed to show some faith in him. Watch him just become a, a corner three-point specialist. Like, I mean, <laughs> who, who's the guy from the Jazz that just got traded? Uh, Joe, uh, golly, Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles. He tore us up. Uh, yeah, I, what, let's see that happen. I mean, he, he had a great stretch, and it didn't seem fluky. He did it in the, in the G League. And then came oh, up yeah. to the to to the to the NBA and was still doing it. So he's shooting like fifty percent from three in the G <laughs> no, League on like he multiple was, attempts. You didn't really know what you were going to get him from him every night, but he would go like nine of twelve, and then one of six, and then four of seven, and so I he'll he'll totally stick around in the NBA if he just does that. Yeah, it's it's just crazy to me. Like I always thought Lindy was a great player, but he kind of struggled, you know, shooting that last season at Oklahoma state. I feel like they were asking him to do some things that maybe yeah, too much things too that much does well, but the fact that he's been able to perform in the G league and then come in. And I know, obviously we talked about it for the tanking thunder, but he's <laughs> still playing against other guys in the NBA. Now he didn't play very long in that Portland game, which was pretty funny because he hit a couple threes and Mark Degnall pulled him because they were trying to lose that game. But I don't know if I would count those guys as NBA players. Cause I think most of the guys playing in that game should probably. I, saw, I saw a few of them at UCO a couple of weeks ago. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm with so, you. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was a great question. And Kate, that's, that's all we got. Wow. That was a good one. That was, a, there was a lot there. I mean, that just, just to kind of wrap up the Lindy thing, he, um, I mean, he was streaky at times, but that, I mean, he came in and kind of lit Oklahoma city on fire. Like he was the talk of the town. I mean, you, you turn on the radio and they're talking about him. He, there was actually a, a commercial the other day that he was the subject of his connection with the native American, like culture and what that means. I think he's a thunder guy. I think they may keep him around. Not just like, he may not just stick around in the NBA. He might stick around in Oklahoma City. It just seems it's like a natural fit. Lindy Waters jerseys. <laughs> That's fantastic. That, How do you get one of those? Had. You can buy one in the store. You got to get that online. They had them in the store. I actually went to the store in the last home game. Um, they were the alternate, the whites, the city Sweet. edition. Lindy Waters, they had, a, they had several of them just hanging up that you could pull down. All right. Well, Dustin, that was fun, man. Let's hope by the time we get off that things have turned around in, in O'Brate this evening. They have not yet. So it is it's already eight up to, to one. <laughs> oh, it's eight to one. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I, golly, I don't even want to get into that. Hey, it's midweek baseball. Riggio and Earhart are out. Marsh is hurt. I'll chalk it up to that. I'm not going to get yeah. too mad about this one. I like it. Not great, I, I, I appreciate your attitude. Dustin, good <laughs> talking to you. Appreciate you as always. Oh, Kate, of course, you're natty. Oh, First women. women's first women's national title in Oklahoma State athletics history. So a round I'm of applause there. It's fantastic. Thank you for the shout out there, especially before we go, Dustin. Appreciate that. If you're not already following us on Twitter, follow us at Fields Like Forty Five Pod, or else you're missing out on a, an unbelievable preview on Zane Flores and and more context to what we talked about today. Uh, and if you're not following Dustin, follow him at Dustragu and follow me at Cade Webb. Dustin, appreciate you as always. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you then. Go Pokes. About choked. We're good. <laughs> Sorry, it probably went too long on baseball and softball. I thought that was good.